Turn in the Word of God this morning to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, you'll find that on page 1097 in the Pew Bible. And I'll read the verses 27 to 36. Luke six twenty seven. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. We come this morning to a most challenging passage in the Gospel of Luke. It is challenging even in its obligation to us when our Lord Jesus says, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. We know how challenging that is to live that way. But it's not only challenging because of what the Lord asks of us, it's challenging because it isn't easy to understand the application of these particular commands. Does Jesus really mean that we are to lend to anyone who asks us without expecting anything in return? Well, if you think about it, you realize that you could only do that for so long. Some of us, of course, longer than others, depending on how much is asked. But you could only do that for so long before you would have nothing left, either to lend to others or for your own care and sustenance. Or, or take this example. In this passage, our Lord Jesus says that one who strikes you, if, if someone strikes you on the cheek, you are to offer the other cheek also. Now that seems relatively easy to understand. Just do what it says. But here's the challenge as you read through the Scriptures. In John's Gospel, as Jesus stands before the religious leaders at his, falsely, uh, at his false trial, one of the officers struck Jesus. And in that particular instance, Jesus did not offer the other side to be struck by the officer. Instead, in John 18, verse 32, our Lord protests that action. 
He said, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Rather than turn in the other cheek, our Lord Jesus reprimanded the one who struck him. And so you can see the challenge of putting into practice what our Lord says if you read this at face value. And as I was pondering these things in the last number of days, I turned to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' magisterial work on the Sermon on the Mount, a collection of sermons that this Welsh preacher preached in London in the uh, 20th century. And he said, as you come to these passages, he was speaking about Matthew's gospel and the Sermon on the Mount there. He says, if you, when you come to these passages, you need to understand five principles. And because I found them so helpful, I thought that I would share them with you as well. The first thing to understand is that Jesus is not here giving us a new code of ethics, a new form of the Ten Commandments. Jesus here is describing the character of someone who belongs to the kingdom and is emphasizing the spirituality of the law, that the law is not simply a matter of do this or don't do that. Secondly, he says, Jesus is concerned in these commands uh, that we understand them not mechanically, but that we follow the spirit of the law, of what he is saying. And this will become clear as we work our way through the passage this morning. Thirdly, if your interpretation or the conclusions you draw from these passages are impossible to fulfill, then you have misunderstood the passages. And if the conclusions are ridiculous, you have misunderstood the passages. And if the conclusions you draw contradict other parts of the Scripture— then you have misunderstood this passage. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones gives us these kinds of principles that guard us from misinterpreting what our Lord Jesus says and from laying on people a burden our Lord never intended to lay upon people. And so with that in mind, let's see what our Lord Jesus says about how we are to treat our enemies the haters, the cursers, the abusers, the strikers, and the takers from us. And the first thing I want to point out is that Jesus gives two models about uh, two models for us uh, about how people who mistreat us are treated, or sorry, two models uh, that people use. Uh, to engage with those who mistreat them. The first model is given in verses 32 to 35, uh, 32 to 34, rather, and these are uh, the way that sinners treat one another. This is the model of most men, is what our Lord Jesus says. This is how people who have, do not have the Spirit of God, who are outside of the kingdom of God, this is how they treat one another. If you love those who love you, he says, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. This is the model where you scratch someone else's back if they will scratch yours. You do good to someone else if they do good to you. 
You love those who love you, but those who hate you, you have nothing to do with. Basically, this model says, if it brings benefit to you, then be kind to others. So if you lend to others and can be confident of a return that it won't give you a, put you at any disadvantage whatsoever, then go ahead and do that. Here, self is the most important. You only treat other people in such a way that you will be advantaged, that it will benefit you. And Jesus is saying, that's the way most people live. Sinners live like that. Untouched by grace, that's our native inclination. That's what we naturally do. And you understand that. You can look around and see that, that that's what people do. They help those who will in turn be able to help them. And Jesus here is not recommending that model at all. And then he gives us another model. So there's the model of the most men, and then there's the model of the most high. This is how our heavenly Father acts. And Jesus gives that model in verses 35 to 36. He says that if you follow what the Most High does, you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Now, we need to think this through. The title that Jesus uses here for the Most High is used four times in Luke's gospel, but it's used numerous times in the Old Testament. God is the Most High. That's a statement relative to other gods. There might be other gods in this world, but, but God is the most high God. It's a, it's a title that stresses His sovereignty and His majesty, His greatness and His glory. He is God most high. And because He is God most high, you would think that He would treat those who mistreat Him with retaliation. After all, he doesn't have to be kind to them so that they would then be kind to him in return. He doesn't need to curry the favor of the wicked so that they would then do him a good thing because he is absolutely independent of all things. He is thoroughly self-sufficient. He doesn't depend on human hands to support him. Besides that, he is a God of such greatness and majesty that He could repay the wicked for what they deserve in this life. It's not like uh, sometimes people are mistreated by others and they roll over in their mind how they would like to retaliate. And um, they, they would like to retaliate, but they don't really have the, the ability to retaliate. They're limited in some way. But that's not the case with God. If he wished to destroy those who were unkind to him, he could do it. He is, after all, God most high, a God of greatness, of sovereignty, and majesty. And so you have the God most high. And then you have Jesus' description of humanity. They are the ungrateful and the evil. You remember that uh, this is the way the Apostle Paul describes the wicked, those under the wrath of God in Romans 1. He says that God has given a revelation of himself in creation. 
so that all humanity knows God. But though they know God, he says, they neither honor him as God nor give him thanks. That is, humanity is ungrateful. They don't acknowledge the blessings that God has showered upon them and the graces that he has given to them. They're unthankful. And not only that, but they turn away from God. They, they exchange the truth of God for a lie, and instead of worshiping the Creator who is forever blessed, they worship created things. Humanity is ungrateful, and they are evil. They reject the revelation of God, refuse to submit to His ways, will not bend beneath the yoke of His law, they are ungrateful and unevil and evil. And so you have uh, God Most High. You have humanity, which is ungrateful and evil. And you can see that there's a collision course going to happen here. That to, if, if the Most High, who has been rejected and despised, comes into contact with evil and ungrateful people, it's not going to end well for the evil and ungrateful. And yet notice what our Lord Jesus says, that the Most High is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. He's merciful to them. That's what he says in verse 36. Now, we shouldn't think that Jesus is teaching some sort of universalism here. That in the end, everything will be okay with the ungrateful and the evil. That they can live a life of rebellion against God and disobeying His laws, rejecting His precepts, and, and in the end, they'll be in heaven because God is kind and merciful uh, to the ungrateful and the evil. No, Jesus is not teaching universalism here because if he were doing that, he would be contradicting what he says in so many other places in the Gospels. It is the, the Lord Jesus who spoke more about that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth than anyone else in uh, this Holy Scriptures. Our Lord Jesus firmly believed that to God at the end of time will, in righteousness and justice, condemn all those who do not know the Lord Jesus or obey the gospel to an eternity of hell under his judgment and curse. This does not contradict that at all. But apart from the eternal destiny of the ungrateful and evil, while the great ungrateful and evil live in this world— Having lived life under the sun, how does God treat them? He treats them with kindness and with mercy. And the evidence is all around us. Just think of all the material blessings, the wicked, the ungrateful, the evil experience. They, they receive a day like today with the brilliance of sun shining upon them with beauty all around them. They receive health and strength. They receive food and, and drink and work and 
family and enjoyment in the things of this world. It's incredible how, how good life is, even in this world under the curse of sin. And even if you live in rebellion to your Creator, God is, is so kind and generous to them. Remember what uh, the Apostle Paul said in Acts 14 to those at Lystra. Remember these inhabitants of the city? They wanted to bow down and worship Paul and, uh, and Barnabas. And uh, Paul says, no, no, you ought to worship God. Uh, what, well, what God is that? Well, the God who's been so kind to you. He says, God did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. That's what God's done to the wicked. He's been so kind and generous to them. He's even so kind and generous that he gives them gifts even though he knows they will use his gifts against him. Cornelius Ventil, a great apologist, said that, and that God is like a grandfather. He picks up his grandson and puts him on his lap. Well, doing that allows the grandson to reach the grandfather's face and, and to slap it. So the kindness of the grandfather enables the grandson to insult his grandfather. And, and uh, Van Til says, this is what God has done. He's given people a mind and eloquence. Uh, so that uh, they are able to articulate arguments. And he blesses them with these gifts, even though he knows they will use those gifts to deny his existence or to mock and scorn him. God is so kind and merciful to the evil and the ungrateful. He could wipe them out in one fell swoop, but he doesn't. He blesses them with all kinds of good things. And then he blesses them spiritually as well. I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't left them without a revelation of them himself, so that, you know, the, the existence of God is, is clearly seen from the things that have been created. And, and so all humanity is left without an excuse. He he didn't have to reveal himself to them, but, but he has. And then he's given them a conscience that, that sometimes affirms them, at other times it condemns them. And he's, he's shown himself so that, so that they would seek after him and, and perhaps find him. And then he's, he's given his only begotten son. He so loved the world that he gives his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should should not perish but have everlasting life. He sends his ministers throughout the world calling people to repentance. What a, what a mercy. Imagine living in rebellion against God and, and never hearing about a way of escape or hearing that God is gracious and, and merciful to sinners. But God has done that. He sent his gospel among the nations. All the earth has seen the salvation of our God, Psalm 98 says. And then he offers forgiveness, free and full forgiveness to his enemies. He invites them to, to surrender, to lay down their arms, to, to embrace his offer of peace in Jesus Christ. He doesn't have to do that, 
but he does. He's so good and kind and and gracious to sinners, to the evil and the ungrateful. That's who God is. That's how God treats them. So Jesus has given two models. The model of most men, which is only be kind if they'll be kind to you. And the model of the Most High, where God shows kindness to the ungrateful and the evil, even while they remain ungrateful and evil. And Jesus says, uh, that's how you're to be. He says uh, in verse 27 and on, love, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, give to everyone who begs from you, And then uh, he reiterates that in verse 35, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Jesus is saying, this is how you treat those who mistreat you. You do it like your Father does it. You are like the Most High. Don't be like most men. And we have uh, opportunity to put this into practice all the time. Because there's all kinds of people that mistreat us. Sometimes they're fellow Christians. Sometimes it's employees. Sometimes it's children in the playground or children on the street. There's all kinds of opportunity to, to put this into practice, to be like our Heavenly Father, loving our enemies, doing good, lending, and being sons of the Most High. Now, Jesus is not saying here, that if you do these things, you become sons of the Most High. Jesus is not teaching a a salvation by works and adoption into the family of God by imitation. Do the right things, and and God will say, ah, I like like the way you act. Come into my family. No, he's saying that uh, because you are the sons of the Most High, through faith in Jesus Christ, you've come to, to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You've been adopted into his family. Because you are the sons of the Most High, then the character of the Most High will be planted in the soil of your soul. You'll be living like Him. This will become the the second nature of Christians. This is how you will respond because of the grace of God in you that makes you an imitator of your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, like Father, like Son. And so this is how you should live. And Jesus is saying here, if you want to think this through, he's saying we need to be selfless. We need to get rid of the spirit of retaliation. We have to be kind to those who are unkind, to seek the advantage of those who are against us, to be willing to be disadvantaged, or to do good even though we know we will be taken advantage of. Jesus says that's the kind of disposition we need to have because that's the kind of disposition that the Most High has. And our bent should be like His. Our native, our instinctive response to people who treat us badly is to be like our Father in heaven. We have to be indifferent to insults, 
and abuse, to let it wash off our back like water off the back of a duck. It was said of uh, Thomas Cranmer. I've mentioned this to you before. Thomas Cranmer, the great English reformer. He said, uh, the way to make Thomas Chalmer your friend was to do you, was to do him an insult. You wanted Thomas Chalmers to be kind to you. Just wrong him because that's the way he responded. He would overcome your evil with good. There's another Scottish minister that I'm reading a biography about, John Milne, and someone was walking with him in the streets of Perth, and he says, I need to stop at this shop because this shop owner has been very unkind to me. He's been harsh and critical to me, and I need to stop there and say hello to him and be friendly because I wish to win him with love. That's the way we should live. We should overcome evil with good repay unkindness with kindness. Be willing to be disadvantaged when others wish to take advantage of us. Now, as I said, this doesn't answer every question. It doesn't mean that if someone is panhandling on the street that you must give them money because other passages of Scripture tell you that if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. Or you have uh, the example of the Apostle Paul. You remember in, in Acts uh, 22, he's been arrested in Jerusalem, and they're ready to, uh, they have him stretched out, and they're ready to flog him. And Paul here doesn't turn the other cheek. He doesn't say, you've, you've mistreated me, so keep on mistreating me. He, he, said, um, he said, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen? and uncondemned. You see, he insisted upon his rights of Roman citizenry. You can't flog me. It's against the law for you to do so because I'm a Roman citizen and I'm uncondemned. And remember as well what I mentioned earlier about the Lord Jesus, that when he was struck at his trial, he remonstrated and he reprimanded the one who struck him. So it doesn't answer every question. It's not a slam-dunk case for doing precisely what it says here. But it does tell you what the disposition of your heart should be like, what your inclination should be when you are mistreated, how you ought to treat others who are unkind to you. And you will know in your heart of hearts whether you are being like your heavenly Father or not. You'll know if you're insisting on your own rights, demanding prerogatives, being unkind and careless with regard to others, that is, uncaring with regard to others. You know in your heart of hearts if you're being like the Lord or whether you're being just like everyone else around you who is only kind to those who are kind to them. Let self-denial and love be your guide. Well, this is uh, obviously not an easy thing. It's not natural to us as sinners. Uh, 
It's uh, not our native instinct to let other people abuse us and to misuse us and to run uh, roughshod over us. And uh, so let let me encourage you uh, and encourage myself as well uh, to pursue this type of Christian disposition with uh, two comments. The first is that this is precisely how our Lord Jesus has treated us. We don't always remember that. We sometimes are tempted to think that the Lord Jesus loves us because we're outstanding Christians. We go to church. uh, Our lives are pretty well in order. We give money for missions. uh, We do, you know, we do good. We're not perfect. None of us would say that, but but we're at least better than most people are. And, and that's why God is so kind to us. And that's why Christ was willing to die for us. But that's not what the Scripture says. Christ died for sinners. He died for enemies. He died for those who by nature hate both God and Christ and our neighbor. And yet the Lord Jesus was so willing to lay down his life for us when we were like that, when we were, as Paul says, when we were his enemies, Christ died for us. It's profound love. It's in indescribable compassion and tenderness. Christ did not treat us as we treated him. He treated us with grace, with mercy, with loving kindness, with tenderness, with sweet compassion. And to think about it, if, if the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, was willing to come to earth to take upon himself our humanity, to live amidst sinners who would mistreat him in order that he would save us, if the Lord Jesus was willing to do that for us, then certainly we could do that for a fellow sinner. Be kind and compassionate selfless and pursuing their good rather than just our own. So think deeply about the Lord Jesus and His rich grace. Have that in the forefront of your mind always. Never stray far from the cross. Pray that Jesus would keep us near the cross so that we would be imitators of the Most High but also imitators of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. And then secondly, Remember that for the wicked, this life is their best life. Eternity is their worst. For the believer, this life is the worst life. Eternity is the best. And Jesus says that. In verses 32 through 34, as he talks about the the, the motives of most men, who uh, only serve those who can repay them, he says, what benefit is that to you? You're not going to receive any credit if you live like that. It doesn't speak in your favor. But he says, if you love your enemies, verse 35, and do good and land expecting nothing in return, your reward will be great. God will not forget your labors of love. He will not forget that uh, when someone slapped you on the cheek, you were kind and offered the other cheek as well. He will not forget that you did not retaliate when someone was harsh and cruel to you, that you were still kind 
when people were unkind. He's not going to forget any of that. He remembers them all. And on the day of judgment, when you stand before him and he welcomes you into heaven, your reward will be great. He will bless you and prosper you in heaven for all eternity and because of his grace, which made you on earth be like the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite stories is the Count of Monte Cristo, a story of a man in France who was uh, mistreated, and he was imprisoned because of his mistreatment. And while he was in prison, he schemed how he was going to repay all those who had done him wrong. And the story goes on. He receives an abundance of wealth and has the ability to repay others, and that's what he does. He, he spends his life retaliating for the evil that was done to him. That's an antichrist posture. Think about the Lord Jesus. Here he is on the cross, crucified by wicked men, rejected by his own, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And then he enters into the grave, and when he gets out of the grave, out of the prison of the grave, what does he do? He doesn't scheme the retaliation of the wicked, but he says to his church, will you not go into all the nations and tell these rebels who have crucified me that there's grace, there's forgiveness, there's peace, there's salvation for them? That is, he seeks not to retaliate, but he seeks their redemption. That's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that gospel that should shape us so that we be increasingly like the Lord Jesus, like God Most High, who loves enemies, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, and is merciful to them. Let's pray together. O Lord, our gracious God, your word has convicted us, and we have seen all the ways that we wrongly respond to others. Have mercy upon us, O gracious God, as we know you will, because you are gracious and kind to those who are not elect and infinitely more gracious and kind to those whom you have redeemed by the precious blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray that you would conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the same Spirit that was upon him would be upon us, and that it would be evident to those around us that we are sons of the Most High, that the family likeness is evident in us for your glory, and for the blessing of those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, sing in response.